for those of you watching on Facebook or YouTube, thank you for joining us. Thank you for checking out this live stream of uh, Fresh Vision Church. Uh, we are located in El Paso, Texas, right off of Hondo Pass and Gateway South. If you're in the area, we invite you to come someday and, and check us out. If you're not in the area, um, I hope that you're blessed by the time this video is over. I hope the Lord has spoke, will have spoken to you. Um, but also feel free to, to share this video. Like it, share it, put it out there. Uh, let others know um, maybe what, what, what we're doing here in El Paso, Texas. Uh, God is doing some great things here. So um, we, uh, we thank you again for, for joining us and for being a part of this church service this morning. Um, if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to leave them in the, in the comments section. Uh, also, you can go to our website, and that is at fvcelp.org. And there you will find all the information about our church, um, COVID guidelines, our statement of faith, a uh, little history about us. Also on that homepage, you'll, in the bottom section, you'll find a uh, prayer request area. And you can fill that out. It'll be like an email. I'll get it. And I should respond to you uh, as soon as I get it or as quickly as possible. Uh, also on our, that reminds me also on our webpage, uh, you'll also find a PayPal link. The Lord has put it in your heart to, to give. Um, that's one way. There is a small percentage that, that PayPal takes out. But if you're okay with that, then that's fine. If not, you can send us uh, a check through the mail. And again, our address is there on the website. If you're here, um, uh, again, we don't pass around a bag or a basket or anything. We want you to give out of the joy of your heart with no obligations. Um, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So again, there's all the information you need uh, will be there on, on our website. All right, so this week we are going to be in the third letter of John. We're going to be cover. We're going to be covering all 15 verses of that letter. Now, in case you weren't with us last week, um, after sharing some background information, we read and studied the message John conveyed to a local church in his second letter. Well, like that letter, this third letter is just as brief and also deals with the problem of traveling preachers, teachers, and what treatment is to be given to them. Uh, last week, I titled the message, Don't Let Them In, and you will find that John will be conveying here is to let them in, to let the good teachers in. Now, both letters are concerned with Christian truth and love and with their relation to hospitality. Now, again, if you recall, in John's second letter, he writes to a local church personified as the chosen lady and her children. And there he warned them not to extend hospitality to false teachers who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, in this third letter that we'll be going over this week, John addresses by name one of the leading members of a local church and then refers to two others. Uh, 
So just to give you a quick, uh, a brief preview, in this letter, John will command Gaius, will commend Gaius for the hospitality he's shown to teachers of the truth and will urge him to continue in it. However, we're also going to see how he sharply rebukes Diotrephes for his refusal to welcome them, to welcome good, sound, traveling preachers and evangelists, and for his opposition to those who wish to. And then we'll see that he'll give, John here will give a shout out to a man named Demetrius for the, for the um, reputation that he's garnered. So for us reading it, reading this letter, this letter is meant to encourage us to continue to act in love and to walk in truth and to avoid imitating bad examples of the faith. So here's what I want you to think about as we look at this letter today. Even in an environment where you are surrounded by other Christians, wherever there are people, there are going to be problems. You're going to find problems. However, in that same environment, there's also a potential for solving problems. Thus, whether you're in a church of thousands or a small one like ours, when problems arise, you must honestly ask yourself, am I part of the problem or part of the answer? As we look at the three individuals John will mention here, consider the kind of Christians they were. And as you do, also consider, also carefully consider if you want to be known as a problem solver or a problem maker. Thus, the title of today's message, The Problem Solver versus the Problem Maker. So before we get into God's word, let's pray and ask him to speak to us this morning. Lord God, thank you for the time of worship that uh, we had this morning. It was great, uh, wonderful, and we hope that it was pleasing unto you, Lord. Um, may our hearts just continually be that of worship. Lord, may not just end here on, on Sunday morning, but may extend throughout the day, throughout the week, Lord, uh, throughout our entire lives. We we truly do worship you for being good and wonderful and for the grace that you've shown us. Lord, the grace you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. So now as we open your word, I pray that you will speak to us loudly and clearly, Lord. Soften our, heart, our hearts and minds. Pray for those watching and listening that they will remove all distractions, Lord, that, that, that may be in their way, Lord, and they'll just focus on on the message, on your word that I'm about to read, Lord. So fill us again. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The third letter of John. The third letter of John. The Word of God says, The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way, and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. 
For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to, than to hear my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, except accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that they can be co-workers with the truth. So I'll stop there for now. In this opening section we just read, it contains a salutation and greeting and also John's message to, to Gaius. Now he begins this letter in the same way he opened his second letter by referring to himself in verse 1 as the elder. And like I mentioned last week, this term speaks of not just age, but also office and dignity, depicting him as, as one speaking in a loving, fatherly role. He then go, goes on to state who this letter is addressed to. And it's a guy named Gaius. Now, because this was one of those common names at that time, like John or Peter. Um, it's unknown if this is the same Gaius mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, and Romans chapter 16, verse 23. But what we do know is that John refers to him as a dear friend, and that he's someone that, whom he loves in the truth. Now, this speaks of a tender affection, the tender affection he has for him, based on a genuine agape love and in accordance with God's truth. A love that, according to what he said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, is only possible. That kind of love is only possible when God's love for us is revealed to us. Furthermore, these words assured Gaius that he was the recipient of God's love and of John's as well. So before you send that next encouraging message to or text to that Christian brother and sister, think about reminding them of that same truth. Now in these now in the first in the first of three places, John refers to Gaius as dear friend. Here in verse 2, he informs him of two areas that he's praying. He prays that one, he's prospering in every way. And two, that he's in good health just as your whole life is going well. These words here that he was speaking weren't just superficial words of good wishes that just rolled out of his mind and into his pen and, and then onto paper with no depth or sincerity. No, the apostle was sincerely concerned 
for both the physical and spiritual well-being of others. This was something that he surely learned from Jesus, whose concern for people's all-around well-being is attested through is attested to throughout the gospel. For example, in Luke chapter 5, when he healed a man from leprosy, and in Mark chapter 9, when he healed a demon-possessed boy. So what the beginning of verse 2 shows us is that we too ought to be praying earnestly that our spiritual peers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are doing well materially, physically, and spiritually. Yes, God wants to shower us with blessings because like every good father, every good earthly father, our heavenly father wants nothing more than to see us happy and content. In fact, Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now, prosperity teachers love to camp out in verse 2 and in John chapter 10, verse 10. But in doing so, they forget that John isn't discussing a principle, but offering prayer. A prayer that seeks the best for our brothers and sisters, but, um, that is in accord- but that's in accordance with God's will and plan. See, the Lord knows I want my kids to be blessed. And he also knows that I want all of you to be blessed. So because of this, I'll never stop praying for them, for my kids, and and for all of you. But I also understand that God's ways are not my ways. And sometimes it's only through brokenness and pain that blessings and ministry are born. At this very moment, not just in El Paso, but throughout this country and throughout the, the world, there are a lot of pastors like me who are preaching sermons. However, there are also many others who are sermons as they continually deal with pain and loss. And so therefore, it's unbiblical. It's heretical for anyone to imply that those who are sick lack in faith and those who are poor are second-rate believers. Well, in verses 3, And four, John goes on to tell Gaius how very glad he was when fellow believers came to him and testified to a couple of things. First, to his fidelity or his loyalty to the truth. Gaius never wavered when it came to the truth of God. He wasn't wishy-washy. He wasn't fickle. When it came to the truth of the gospel of Christ, he was loyal to it. In good times and in bad. Lived by that truth in word and deed and defended it. Now, how did John know this? Well, those believers he encountered further testified in verse 6 of Gaius's love before the church. So, what this tells us is that 
Gaius was a balanced Christian. He held the truth in love and he also loved in truth. And secondly, those two believers testified to John about how John was walking in truth. Meaning that Gaius, that Gaius' style of life, his walk, was consistent with God's truth. You see, since a person's testimony can only be borne by what, they, what they've seen, those believers were first-hand witnesses of the kind of person Gaius was. They observed Gaius. They observed that Gaius was a transparent, was transparent. He was an open Christian who was letting his light shine and not hiding it. But it wasn't just they who saw it. His truth and love were known to all. Even strangers could see his unwavering devotion to that truth and love. So upon hearing that testimony of those believers, the apostle was led to tell Gaius, I have no greater joy than this, and to hear that my children are walking in truth. Here it's possible that by referring to Gaius as one of his children, John meant that Gaius was a convert of his. But on the other hand, the elderly apostle simply may have thought of those whom he ministered from a paternal perspective, from a fatherly, with a fatherly concern. But either way, such conformity of life to the truth on the part of his children brought John greater, no greater joy, or there was no greater joy for John. To him, truth mattered. And it should also definitely matter to anyone who says they're a Christian and has chosen to live in the light of truth. Here's what the truth himself said in John chapter 15, verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Know this then, brothers and sisters, wherever Jesus is, there you will find truth. And even though it may be in the middle of a storm, of a really dark storm, wherever he is, joy will always, will also be there. So my friends, wherever life has you, and whatever circumstance you're in, continue to walk in truth. Walk in a way that's real and genuine, without any phoniness or concealment. Don't be a hypocrite. If you believe that you're fallen, if you believe that you're that you backslidden, then walk wary of your fallenness. If you believe you're a child of God, then walk like a child of heaven. If you believe you are forgiven, 
then walk like a forgiven person. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. As you walk in the, tr in the truth, try to keep these words from Jonathan Edwards in mind. Live it. Live it out. I, I resolved, he said this, I resolved to endeavor to my utmost to act and think as if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and the torments of hell. So in light of this, I want to ask you all a question. Do you talk the walk or do you walk the talk? In other words, do you just talk about the truth and not live it out? Or are you living it out so that your actions speak louder than words? Are your actions preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, it can be very easy to, to recite Bible verses and to speak Christianese. But are you living it out? Are you walking? If that's your heart and desire, to be real and genuine, to be walking in the truth, start walking obediently. So addressing, again, for the second time to Gaius, his dear friend, in verse 5, John commended his hospitality towards those who were ministering the word and opening his heart and home to them. This was an encouragement to both his fellow brothers and sisters and the strangers who came to fellowship with the church and to minister to them. About this course of conduct, the apostle declared, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do, which is another way of saying that conduct was praiseworthy because it's an act of fidelity to the truth of God. John knew it was important that Christians have a heart of hospitality. But he also knew that there were limits. There had to be limits to that hospitality. And as in his previous letter, he warned the elect lady not to entertain false teachers into their home. But here, though, he does the opposite by commending Gaius for the hospitality he showed to true, to true teachers of the word. And so what's the difference? By entertaining false teachers, believers were sharing in the evil works of these false teachers. But by entertaining true teachers, believers are acting faithfully to the truth. Well, in John, in, in verses 6 through 8, John explains four motivations for Gaius's ministry to the saints. First of all, he did it to honor God. That was the, that's what the phrase in a manner worthy of God means at the end of verse 6. 
since these traveling ministers were representing the name of the Lord, ministry to them was really a service to Jesus Christ. As Christians, you become more Christ-like when you're sacrificing your time, energy, and resources to serve others. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 and 41, our Lord and Savior said this, The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he is righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. This should make us consider how we receive and help those who preach the gospel. In verse 7, we find the second mode, that the second motive was that the support of God's servants is a witness to the lost. While the Lord taught that God's servants deserve support in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, the standard in the New Testament is that that support ought to come from God's people. Not from Gentiles, not from outsiders, but from God's people. So accepting nothing from pagans means that these traveling ministers wouldn't ask for financial assistance from the unsaved. Thus, when God's people adequately support God's servants, it's a powerful testimony to the lost. There's a lot of businesses out there that unfortunately have had to have been lost because of the COVID crisis, because of the pandemic. The fact that all of you, and those of maybe those of you listening and watching, have have provided for us, it's a powerful testimony to them that to outsiders that what God is doing here. You know, if it if we were just relying on outside help, we probably would have close these doors within day or month two of the pandemic. But we've been able to keep these doors open because of believers, because of all of you. All of you have opened your hearts and wallets and, and we've been able to pay the rent and the, the, the bills here and you know and I want you to know again the fact that we're still here is a powerful testimony to those who are on the outside, to the lost. I think many of you would agree that when ministers, churches, and other religious organizations go, uh, go around asking unbelievers and non-Christian businesses for money, it makes Christianity look cheap and commercial. The third motivation for serving is in verse 8. That's obedience to God. Therefore, we ought to support such people. The ministry of hospitality and support isn't just an opportunity. It's an obligation. Galatians chapter 6, 
verses 6 through 10 makes it clear that those who receive spiritual blessings from the minister of the word ought to share with him material blessings. So I know this may be hard for some of you to hear, but it would be unbiblical for all of you to send all your tithes and offerings all over the world and neglect the support and neglect to support the ministry of your home church. And that just doesn't apply here. It applies, you know, for those of you watching and listening, you know, if you've been home throughout these past 10 months and haven't been at church and you've just been watching online, again, that's, that's your choice. But have you neglected to support your home church? Have you used your money to all your that money you used to give to, to those to your church? Are you now sending it to other places? Your tithe and offering really should go to your home church. Finally, in verse 8, also, John gives a fourth motivation so that we can be co workers with the truth. Gaius not only received the truth and walked in the truth. But he was also a co-worker who helped further the truth. Now, we don't know what his spiritual gifts were or how he served the church. But we do know that Gaius helped extend and defend the truth. He did this by assisting those who taught and preached it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's one thing to fight for apostasy used to entertain false teachers, but it's quite another thing to open our homes and, yes, wallets to promote the truth. You see, for many, for a lot of people, it's a lot easier to do the former than the latter. It's easier to speak out against false teachers on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, but how willing would you be to make room on your couch to a stranger who will be preaching the gospel at your church on Sunday? Or how wide would you be willing to open your wallet to a traveling evangelist who needs help getting to his next destination? This is why we need more people like Gaius. Men and women who are spiritually healthy, obedient to the word and sharing what they have for the furtherance of the truth. Whatever God gives you to do, should do it faithfully. So that when the day comes when you see Jesus face to face, you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share. Share your master's joy. But as we're about to see, not everybody is a Gaius. In the next part of this letter that we're about to read, we're going to see a different kind of Christian. So let's go back to our Bibles and 
finish off the rest of this letter. Third John, verse 9. I wrote something to the church by Diotrephes, who to have first place among them does not receive our authority. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. Greetings. Greet the friends by name. That was a letter, what he wrote. Having commended Gaius for his generosity for receiving the traveling missionaries, John next turns to Diotrephes. In contrast, as one who rejected the apostle, and as such, rejected those who sent him. Now, by saying in verse 9 that he wrote something to Gaius, to Gaius's church previously, John wasn't referring to the present letter since Diotrephes had already rejected it. Neither was this a reference to the first letter of John or the second letter of John, since the issue in those letters was doctrinal error. So likely this referred to a lost letter urging them to assist traveling evangelists. Well, that letter seems to have been rejected and suppressed by Diotrephes. This may have been the reason John was able to claim that Diotrephes didn't receive our authority. Now, the reason Diotrephes rejected John wasn't because of doctrinal error, but because he had an inflated ego. He was a puffed up. He thought he was all that. Rather than Christ having first place among them, Diotrephes love, loved to have, to have first place among them. This exaggerated view of himself made him a virtual dictator in the assembly. His sin was pride of position an inflated ego, and a violent jealousy for what he regarded as his own rights. No doubt he justified his sin by claiming that he was on a side of truth. In all reality, he wasn't. Because of this, because of this inflated ego and because he was puffed up and, and prideful, he was unable to accept the apostle's authority and resisted his wishes to welcome traveling brethren who came to the church. 
And therefore, John concluded that Diotrephes, that Diotrephes' rejection of the brothers, he saw that as a rejection also of himself, of John. Now, in verse 9, John dealt with the problem of Diotrephes' character, character, his pride. But here, now in verse 10, he addresses his actions. He tells his dear friend that if he comes in person to the church in question, he reminds Diotrephes of the works he's doing, which consisted of three things. First, he was slandering us with malicious words. Second, he refuses to welcome fellow believers. This tells us that he wouldn't even receive the other brethren because they were in fellowship with John. And third, he was stopping those who want to do so, throwing them out from the church. In other words, he used his self-acclaimed authority to force other believers to be inhospitable. And if they did, let them return to the church or he wouldn't let them come to church. Now, as a, as a church here, Fresh Vision Church, we've been blessed. We haven't had anyone here that has done this or has tried to do this. But that doesn't mean it may not happen. So all of us need to be wary of anyone who may want to put themselves in a position above the leaders who have been, who have been appointed here. We need to look out for those who want to arbitrarily make decisions on behalf of the church because they think they're better, smarter, or more qualified. More often than not, what they're really trying to do is to make disciples for themselves rather than disciples of Christ. Peter also gave a similar warning in Romans. I'm sorry, Paul also gave a similar warning in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Now, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Jesus, our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. So if there's anyone... Again, we've been blessed here that it hasn't happened here, but if there's anyone out there that may be doing this right now, if you're watching and listening, I urge you to stop. Stop and just leave that church immediately before you cause any more damage. Why are you trying to divide the body of Christ? Why are you trying to cause issues in the bride of Christ? Again, it's just best, better for you just to leave. You need to, if you want to, go out and start your own church. You know, and, and see how that goes. But don't break up. Don't go into another church and try to break it up and usurp the, the authority that's already been that's already been established there. So after saying what he would do, the Apostle John then informs Gaius what he wants him to do and why he ought to do it. 
So using dear friend for a third and final time, he tells Gaius to not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Why? Because the one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. What he's saying to his readers here is that evil never arises when one has a real and authentic spiritual perception of God. Rather, evil is produced, is a product of darkness within the heart of a person and their blindness towards him. So you, so you see here, John wasn't questioning Diotrephes' uh, salvation, but he was affirming that Diotrephes, that his conduct manifested real blindness towards God. So that's the best way to avoid this was by not following the example of evil men, but instead imitate the conduct of the good ones. That perhaps many of you have been disappointed by someone that you once looked up to as a leader. Maybe it was a politician, an athlete, a teacher, a family member, someone that you really held in you know, high esteem. You put them on a pedestal, you trusted them, and you wanted to be just like them. But then they did something that destroyed your image of them. And so as a result, because, because of that, you now question whether it's right to imitate any human leaders. Well, the Bible here tells us that, yes, you can. If they are in turn imitating Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. And also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. You and I, can't see God, but we can see God at the war, at, at work in the lives of His children. In the lives of His children, as you begin to see the godly life and dedicated service of another believer, the more it will encourage you to follow their example. And as you imitate those who imitate Christ you'll find that others will want to be, well, others will begin imitating you. In John chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus said this, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So again, it's not about becoming more like someone else. Rather, it's about becoming more like Jesus. In verse 12, John tells Gaius that Demetrius was a man worth imitating. Now, it's uncertain if this was the same person mentioned in Acts chapter 19, verse 23, or if this is the same person Paul referred to in some of his letters as 
Demas. Regardless, though, what John may have been implying here is that Demetrius was someone to be imitate was someone to be imitating. So if Gaius indeed wanted to imitate what is good, then he'd extend hospitality to him. So what evidence did John provide that gave Gaius more than enough proof to trust this traveling preacher? Well, all John had to offer were three testimonies. The first testimony was that of others. Everyone speaks well of him. Secondly, this testimony was confirmed by the truth itself. And the third testimony came from John himself by saying, we also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. Thus the testimony of others, the truth, and if John would have, proved, would have proven that Demetrius was someone Gaius could open his home and his heart to. So if I were to ask any of you to show hospitality to someone I know and trust in the faith, I hope that you'd open your home and heart to them without reserve. Likewise, if Rick was to ask me to do the same, I trust that he just wouldn't let some lunatic or heretic, heretic to come into my home or to be around my family. There's that mutual trust and respect and, and again, I wouldn't ask you if it was someone that I wouldn't trust with my own wife and kids. In the last three verses, John closes out this letter in much the same way as he closed his second letter, delaying discussion until, face, until a face-to-face -face reunion. In the final line, he not only sends Gaius peace, but he also passes along that the friends send him greetings. And similarly, he wanted Gaius to greet the friends there by name. I find it more coincidental, I find it more than coincidental that John closes three of his four books saying, in essence, there is so much more that I want to say. Why? Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So with a heart that big, it therefore doesn't surprise me that the apostle of love would have a heart too full for mere paper to contain. Now, it's interesting to contrast John's second and third letters and see the balance of truth the apostle presented. Second John was written to a godly woman about her family. While third, while third John was written to a godly man about his church. God warned the elect lady about false teachers from the outside, but he warned Gaius about dictatorial leaders inside the fellowship. The false teachers in second John would appeal to love 
so that they might deny truth, while Diotrephes would appeal to truth as, in the most loving way, he would attack the brethren. Church, I hope that you're able to see how important it is to walk in the truth, in truth and love, and hold the truth in love. To claim to love the truth and yet hate the brethren is to confess ignorance of what the Christian life is all about when God's people love him, the truth, and one another. And the Spirit can work in that assembly, in that church, to glorify Jesus Christ. But when any member of that assembly including me, including the pastor, or any of the leaders here, become proud, becomes proud and tries to have preeminence. Tries, they, they start to begin to have this, you know, they start to get puffed up and want to start becoming, uh, having a dictatorial type of attitude and behavior in the church. Then the spirit is grieved and he cannot bless. The church may outwardly appear successful, successful, but inwardly it will lack the true unity of the spirit that makes for a healthy fellowship. What we need are more people like Gaius and Demetrius and fewer like Diotrephes. Which one will you be? That ends the message here in, in uh, Third John. But um, I want to take a moment to, to tell those who may be watching and listening that you know, God wants to work in your life. He wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to give you a heart of love. He wants to give you a, a heart just that that gives and that shares. He wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to be a child of God. Will you allow him to be your heavenly father? Because once you do that, your perspective on life, your perspective of this world changes. It radically gets transformed. start having a biblical worldview rather than a regular fleshly worldview. And so the only way that can happen, the only way you can truly have that fellowship with God, truly have that peace with God is by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, by coming to the cross handing your sins over to him and having him wash you clean of all your past, present, and future sins. So if that's what you'd like to do, if you're ready to rededicate your life or if you're ready to just for the first time surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to be born again, I want to lead you in a prayer.
to accept him into your heart. So if that's you, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and and with all your heart, with all sincerity, I want you to pray this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I've that I've fallen short. I ask that you forgive me. I now believe that you truly died for my sins and that three days later you rose from the dead. So right now, at this very moment, I turn from my sins, I repent and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. So now I ask you that you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name. Amen. If you truly prayed that, I want you to know that you're now a child of God. He is, your name is now written in the book of life. So that's up to you now to, to walk in obedience, to get to know God more by reading his word, going to church, being in fellowship, hearing the messages, hearing sermons. But don't do it alone. The church is a body. And there are other Christians out there who, who want to minister to you, who want to serve you, who want to help you in your new born-again life. So if you're not here in the local area, wherever you're at, and you're looking, you need, you want to find a, a church, let us know and we'll do the research for you. We'll send you to a good Bible teaching, not just to any church, but a good Bible teaching church. If you're here, in the local, locally here, whether it's out in Horizon or whether it's in Chaparral or, you know, we want to invite you to come check us out here. We want to, you know, we want to minister to you. We want to help you out too in your new born again life. We'll give you a Bible, or pray, or maybe answer any questions. We want to be here to serve you. Don't keep, don't pray that prayer and just think that it, you know everything's going to be all right. No, it's, it's going to be challenges. It's going to be good. You're going to feel good and you're going to you know, be excited, but you need people around you that will help you. So reach out to us, get a hold of, you know, maybe through our social media pages, um, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. Uh, let us know how we can do that for you. So with that, I'm going to close today's message. I hope you all were blessed. I hope that the Lord really spoke to you. Uh, also, yeah, let me, I forgot to mention this in the beginning. We are going to be having a Christmas Eve service. 
and that will be um, uh, the 24th, which is uh, a Thursday, which is a Thursday, and that's going to be at 6 p.m. So we invite you to, to come to that as well, to our Christmas Eve service. Thank you again for watching. If you're listening to this later on or watching the recording, I hope you were blessed, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye and farewell.